All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Compliance Guy. As always, I want to say thank you so much to each and every single one of you for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me and my special guest for a little while as we talk about all things coding, billing, documentation, and compliance. Today, I'm really excited because I have uh, uh, this healthcare professional joining me today who we've had a few hiccups uh, over the last, oh, I don't know, a couple of months while we've been trying to get together on the podcast um and i'll take full responsibility for having to reschedule some of these uh these meetings um and i'm sure my guest is going to say i had nothing to do with it this is all on you <laughs> um but my special guest today is rosmine bapet and she is the founder of code right healthcare consulting they specialize in medical billing, coding, and compliance. And it's always interesting for me as I'm preparing for one of these uh, episodes in learning about who I'm going to be having this conversation with. And as always, these are unscripted. Um, this is the very first time I've actually seen Rosmine um, in person. This is the first time that we're actually having any kind of a conversation. So. I'm going to be just as curious as the rest of y'all on where this conversation goes. So what I know about Rosmine is this. Um, she's a medical practice consultant. She's a compliance officer. She's a revenue cycle champion, and she's a medical billing subject matter expert. Um, I know that she's from uh, Allen, Texas. For those of you that are not familiar with that, that is the Metroplex. Um, of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, you know, it's really interesting. It seems recently several of my guests have been from the great state of Texas. Um, I was going to sing that song, you know, deep in the heart of Texas. But I will save my singing for Friday nights after a couple of bourbons and a karaoke machine. So, Rosmine, Welcome to the Compliance Guy program. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with me and our listeners for just a little while. Um, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about you. You know, what, what got you interested in the business of medicine? How did that come about? So first of all, Sean, thank you so much for having me. I am, I am very happy to be here on your podcast. I was... Uh, ecstatic when you asked because I know the kind of people you have on your podcast, a lot of experts, a lot of veterans in the field. So I do feel like a little bit of a novice, but I, I do appreciate you having me here. And uh, so thank you for that. Uh, so yeah, so about me, um, so I'm a certified coder, auditor, compliance officer. I've been in the field for almost 16 or 17 years. Uh, started in the trenches, you know, doctor's office, front desk, did everything, billing, coding, practice management, and um, then kind of decided that I just wanted to do something on my own. There were so, so many gaps that I saw uh, that were happening in the small doctor's pra doctor practices. So I am a big advocate for, for private practice. I'm a big advocate for doctors having their independence. And uh, I know that a lot of these doctors um, kind of work in silos. 
So I wanted to be that kind of a link between what is going on in, you know, with the regula regulation and compliance and what is going on in the industry and what the doctors are doing in their little silos. I wanted to be kind of a, that link there. So that's why I started CodeWrite uh, in 2015. And so it's been seven years now. And uh, so we started with just, you know, one client doing their medical billing and uh, then identifying more gaps and then educating myself first. In, in all of these areas of compliance and running a medical practice, and then uh, being able to help the physicians and educate them in different areas. So that's that's what I do. Well, I don't think you're a novice, um, you know, and 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 I appreciate the kind words. You know, um, it's been such a, a humbling experience for me and such an honor for me to have so many incredible guests. It's, it's hard to believe that, um, this program is now in its third season. We've had more than 80-something episodes. Um, and we just, you know, we just seem to be um, growing and, and attracting the attention of, you know, healthcare professionals from around the country. It's, it's really interesting, you know. Um, we, are, we are seeing a tremendous number of people uh, from actually around the world as we're looking at some of our metrics um, which is always fascinating to me when we have people, especially in, in, in the hundreds and in some of the countries in the thousands that are actually, you know, listening or viewing the podcast, um, you know, when we're live on one of the streaming services. But, you know, it was interesting. I was, I was going to say, as you were talking about the fact that, you know, you've been doing this for 16 or 17 years, I was going to say, you don't look a day over 21. So you just <laughs> started right out of elementary school. Yeah, that, that's pretty much accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I love when people I love when I, I love when I get a chance to talk to folks like yourself where, you know, you you bring up the term advocate. Um, I have I have for 28 years. That's a lie. I've been doing this for 28 years. So for 25 years of 28 years, I've I've been saying that I'm a physician advocate. Um, and physicians need advocates, whether they like to hear that or not, they do because physicians historically have been their own worst enemies. Um, you know, they're a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are not the greatest business people, which we wouldn't expect them to be right. You know, they don't go to school to learn about KPIs and metrics and, you know, all this other stuff they go, you know, they go to school. Because they're scientists, right? They're they're learned individuals. They're, you know, they're they're life learners when it comes to restoring, you know, function to a person to get them into an optimal state of being, whatever you want to refer to it. So I love when somebody like yourself says, you know, I'm an advocate. And the other thing that I picked up on that you said is, you know, keeping physicians in private practice. Um I'd love to learn before we go down that road. Tell me a little bit more about your background in healthcare. Um, you know, you, you said you were you know started working in a, a small physician practice. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of what your role was and how you matriculated through that process and how you arrived at the point of saying, I need to do my own thing. I need to expand what I'm doing for this group into 10 groups, 20 groups, whatever it may be. 
So interestingly, my degree is in marketing. So I have a BBA in marketing. And uh, I've, I've said this on different podcasts before, at a newbie out of college, the, mar- the, the marketing jobs that are available are sales. And I, I do not like sales. I suck at sales. So I do not want to do sales. I wanted to build advertising campaigns and I wanted to, you know, write for, write for a magazine and pr- promote brands. That's what I wanted to do. I, I did little did I realize that that would take years to get to that point. So uh, when I uh, when I was looking for a job and in, in, during that time I got married and so my mother-in-law hired position at the time she um, she told me she asked me if I wanted to do billing and coding uh, my father-in-law is uh, was um, uh, he's retired now he's a cardiologist and he was practicing at the time and I was not interested in billing and coding I didn't even know what that was at the time so I was like I don't know if I want to do it but I looked at I looked it up and I um, I joined a community college I started a program for billing and coding at that time they actually had billing and coding together now they've broken them off into like coding and billing separate. So at the time it was the one course that you had to do. And I did that and I actually was good at it. You know, I was like, okay, I can do this. I understand it or whatever. So uh, my father-in-law hired me after I, I finished. And um, so, but he didn't, you know, cut me any slack. He actually put me at front desk. He, um, that's like the bottom of the totem pole there. So I was, I was talking to patients. I was fielding their calls. And uh, at that time, he was just transitioning to EMR, so we had paper charts. So he would see 20 patients a day, we would pull 20, 20 charts and then file them back in and all of those paper things that we used to do at the time. So I uh, learned that, then I was taken into the billing office and learned a lot about coding. Um, he was not putting codes in there because he was just you know, putting the diagnosis and, and we had to code, so I, I learned how to do that. And uh, so this was in Houston. And then my husband um, got a job here in the Dallas area. So we moved up here. And then, of course, when I started applying for billing jobs, uh, they, the, the uh, physician office that I applied to, they offered me a front desk job. And they said that they were going to you know, move me to billing in a few months. And so I took the job and everything. And then, of course, they didn't promote me <laughs> to billing. So I was just doing the front desk for four months. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And, and I don't, I, I didn't take in any certification exams at the time. Um, I didn't really know about AAPC, honestly. I knew about AHIMA. So I ended up taking my AHIMA CCSP before I took my AAPC exam because I didn't know AAPC existed, which was actually a harder exam. So I was glad that I, I did that first. And yeah, then, you I know, agree with you. Yeah. So I, did, I, took, I took my CCSP first and then... Uh, then there was an interesting thing. I actually, what happened was when I quit that job, I was looking for something and I actually went around with my paper resume to local doctor's offices and I was handing in to people like whoever was at the front desk or if I was fortunate, you know, handed them the resume. And two days later, I got a call from a cardiology office that was like 10 minutes away from where I lived. And they were looking for a buller. And so I got the job and uh, I was promoted to office manager within two months because the office manager left. So the doctor's like, hey, you want to do office management and billing? I was like, sure. You going to pay me more? He said, absolutely not. We don't have a budget for that. But <laughs> I, did, I did it uh, anyways, but, but learned so much. 
learned um, a lot in that job. And um, I did that for a few years. And then I got a job uh, um, doing chart reviews at an ACO. So that was a completely different animal, you know, doing. Wow, interesting. Know, so you, you, you were working with an accountable care organization. Yes. We did HCC coding. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to come back to that in just a little while. You know, um, it's, it's funny. You and I have um, a very parallel path. In 1989, when I got into healthcare, um, so I've actually been doing this for more than 30 years, but the kind of work that I've been doing, I've only been doing it for about 28 years. But when I started in healthcare in 1989, uh, I actually started at the front desk. Um, I was checking people in. I was answering the phones. I was scheduling appointments. Um, you know, and back then we didn't have fancy computer systems. The only computers that we had were back in the business office is what they mm -hmm. called it. Everything that we did was in a ledger, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, our scheduling book, we literally had a book. Now I know some of the new generations and i always mess up whether it's generation z or y i don't even know what i am but you know I, i'm sure right now a few of their heads are going what do you mean a scheduling book what is that but yeah we used to you know we had 15 minute blocks and before we got sophisticated with you know modified wave schedules and scheduling based on a patient's need everything was 15 minutes just like the hairdresser just like the restaurant it was that 15 minutes. And, you know, the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, your story is very much like the majority of people in healthcare, right? It's a matriculation. You know, you, you, you got high, look, you have a degree in marketing has absolutely nothing to do with healthcare, right? Has nothing to do with the business of medicine, right? Coding, billing, compliance, documentation. It, it's a degree in marketing, right? And you wind up getting a job working with your father-in-law who was not very lenient on you. And a lot of people don't realize that nepotism isn't always a great thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so like for me, you know, I went from the front desk to being transitioned into the business office where I was required to learn all about insurance contracting, credentialing, um, what it meant to submit a bill. Back then, we only had a handful of codes, right? And yeah. we didn't have RBRVS, you know, and for people who are like, wait, what is RBRVS? I've heard that before. It stands for really bad reimbursement very slowly. That's Medicare's fee structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it actually stands for resource-based relative value scales. But, um, you know, to your point, I wasn't certified. I was getting the physician's super bills, right? These paper sheets that were coming to me. And I was putting down low, moderate, or high, because we only had three levels back then, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we'd added diagnosis code. And, you know, there may have been some modifiers. I don't think I even remember what a modifier was all the way back then. But, you know, like you, you know, I kind of learned the ropes. And then, you know, next thing I know, they're asking me, hey, you know, we lost our office manager in this location because they had locations all around Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton, Coral Springs in Florida. And they said, hey, you know, we, we need a practice manager or an office manager. We didn't call them practice manager. 
and they were office yeah, office manager. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, cool. You know, I can do that. And, you know, got put into an office and, you know, had no clue about budgets, had no clue about KPIs or metrics. We didn't have those things back then. You know, we, we said this is our operating cost. This is our break even point. And we want to try to be somewhere around an 8 to 12% profit margin. And the owners of the company were great with that. So for me, it was a wonderful learning experience, right? I actually learned how to do different therapies, um, you know, because sometimes, you know, we were short uh, a, a PTA or an MA and I'd have to go in and, you know, take somebody's blood pressure. So I had to learn how to do blood pressures and I had to learn you know, um, you know, how to get people's weights and, you know, ask them, why are you here today? What's going on? And, you know, then I had to learn how to take an x-ray and I had to learn A to P, P to A, obliques, lateral, all these different things. And it's crazy because you couldn't get away with one tenth of the stuff that we were doing mm -hmm. between 1989 and 1994 when I finally decided I got to go get a college education. <laughs> I got to find something else to do. Um, so it's really interesting, you know, because a lot of the younger generation doesn't realize, you know, that the, the folks like you and I that came before them, we had to matriculate through the process. We had to learn this stuff on the job. It wasn't just handed to us where mm -hmm. you walked in, but, I love also the fact that you talked about AHIMA and the CCSP. Um, I agree with you. As somebody who holds multiple certifications, I got my very first certification CPC in 1996, I think, or 97. Um, you know, the CCSP is a significantly harder test. Mm -hmm. It was back then. And, you know, I, I hear all the time people telling me, oh, the CPC, it wasn't that hard. When I took it, that thing was a nightmare. I don't know if it got watered down a little bit or whatever, but, I mean, we've got, what, a, a half a million to a million people now that are certified through AAPC, if I'm not mistaken. It's a huge number. So, you know, tell me, tell me more about, you know, how the second phase came about where, you know, you, you've earned these credentials and now, you know, you've gotten some good experience. What, what made you decide that it was time to start your own business in 2015? It was more personal than a professional decision, actually, because, um, um, I had my daughter and, uh, I, I had been working since I was like 16 years old. So I, right up after high school, I would have my retail job and, you know, in the mall, you know, we had malls back then. Right. So I, I, I had a job. So I, I was like, okay, finally, when I actually have children, I'm going to just be an at-home mom. Relax. Um, by the time my daughter was nine months old, I was kind of uh, going crazy out of my mind. I was like, I, I was like, I can't do this. I can't just sit at home and like not be productive. I just feel, I just felt like I was wasting away. And um, I had the previous, the job that I had before I had my daughter um, it was the ACO, the HCC coding and all that. I had, a, I had a little bit of a bad experience there. So I was just like, I don't know if I want to go back to working in a corporate environment where there's just a lot of politics and, and, and all of that. I didn't want to deal with that. So um, 
one of the, so the the doctor I used to work for, uh, who hired me as as the biller and then office manager, a cardiologist. Um, I went to him and I kind of got his advice as to what I needed to do or whatever. And he said that one of his friends, a cardiologist, his biller was leaving, so he was looking for a biller. So he's like, "Do you want to do you want to work for him or whatever?" And so I was like, "I don't want to really have a job, but I want to kind of do it as a um, as a contractor, if he would." you know, if he was okay with that. So I met with this doctor and he was, he was okay with that. So that's how CodeRec was born. So I had, um, I started doing billing for a cardiologist and it just started rolling from there. And then I, when I had my experience with the documentation reviews, so I was like, okay, I can do auditing. I, I can, I, I'm pretty competent at that. So then I went and got my CPMA and uh, then there was, more, you know, it was word of mouth, really. We kind of grew organically. We're still a very small company, but, and I didn't want to just grow rapidly anyways, because you got to have a really nice foundation before you start growing bigger, right? So I wanted to kind of start, and I wanted to also have that work-life balance that I was craving, and um, the reason that I didn't want to go back to a traditional job. Um, wanted to spend some time with my with my daughter and my husband and, you know, as a family. So, uh, which of course, when you own your own business, you know it, it doesn't really happen. <laughs> you you see that that that's what you want, but you're working twice as much, really. And uh, so, but you know, just getting more experience, getting more, helping more doctors, and ha them recommending me to their friends. And um, you know, I did some compliance training after that, got my compliance certification. So. Right now, as CodeWrite, we started out as a billing company. We still do a billing. That's our primary uh, revenue stream that we have. But we do a lot of consulting, you know, auditing, provider education, staff training. Uh, so a lot of that is involved as well. You know, doctors need a lot of help in those areas. And, and we try to be there, the source that they come to. Right. So. I know one of the things that you all do at CodeWrite is revenue cycle management, right? Yes. What is what does that mean to you? You know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of you know big words that get thrown around, a lot of sexy terms, you yes. know, and RCM is one of them, right? And and for me, it's always fascinating to hear the different perspective of folks that are in the RCM world as to what it actually means to you. So what what is what is a, a an RCM analysis mean to you? For me revenue cycle is is basically making sure that we're whatever we're doing the, the minute the patient makes that phone call to make that make a uh, appointment, right? So the minute the patient getting their demographics correct, getting their insurance information correctly, and then there's there's the coding part, there's the documentation training part, all of those things, making sure the doctor is doing, uh, holding up to that integrity of of that documentation of what when when they're seeing the patient, and then of course the billing part comes in, and then all of the other stuff that we do with the billing, making sure that the claims are clean when they're going out, making sure that we're uh, they're getting the, the payments are coming in, posting the payments, uh, billing the patient. B being, uh, we can also I I can also probably say that we're patient advocates as well. We're more physician advocates, but we also train the patients in different things. And and I don't know if you want to go that way, but I can probably talk about that as well. Hey, um, listen, I tell people <laughs> all the time, Rosmin, I am simply the bus driver. You're the navigator. I'm going to go wherever you want to go. So whatever direction you want to go, let's go. Okay. 
So like I actually posted on LinkedIn this morning that I talked to a patient yesterday who uh, purchased his Part B um, in November of 2021 and his claims are still getting denied uh, because Medicare still has uh, in, on their files Blue Cross as primary and Medicare as secondary, even though he said he's called them multiple times and whatnot. So I called Medicare and that's what they told me. And I was like, can I just be on a three-way with the patient and you guys, we can figure this out once and for all because this patient is really frustrated. But of course she said, no, can't do that. You know, just give him this number and he needs to call. And I called the patient and I feel, and I had to explain it to him and, and put him to ease that, okay, just make that. He started, you know, throwing F-bombs and cussing at the thing. Oh my God, like I called them so many times. Why can't they get it straight? And I told them, I'm like, it happens. It's just, you know, you need to, you need to just call them one more time and 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 make sure that that's taken care of. So, in 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 the way of helping the physician getting those claims paid, we're also kind of helping the patients understand what you know Medicare is, what Medicare Advantage plans are. All of those things are are so important, and that's all. I feel like that's all part of revenue cycle. You can bring all of that in into med revenue cycle, prior authorizations, referrals, all of those things um, kind of come in there. I agree with you. And, and, and I, you know, when people ask me, you know, how do you define revenue cycle management? I explain it as a cradle to grave process. Yes. You know, it's, it's the moment, you know, the moment the patient calls the practice to your point, that's the birth of the relationship all the way through getting that claim paid, which is, you know, well, I don't want to call it the grave, but that's really the end of that cycle for that patient encounter, right? And I think what most people don't look at is the fact that an RCM is not an overall process. It's a process for each and every single patient encounter because each and every single patient encounter is unique. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um, So one of the things that um, I want to I want to kind of get your thoughts on because you brought it up you, you brought up and this is your fault so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you this question um, have you seen the latest report that was released by the Office of Inspector General that called into question the tactics of Medicare Advantage organizations MAOs? And escape what I consider to be a scathing report. You're putting me on the spot here. I did not read the report, but I did read your rant on it. So, oh my rant! My rant. Okay. Well, hey, you know, listen. Um, it, it's actually funny that you call it a rant because one of my very good friends, Robert Lyles, who's an attorney, um, during a <clears throat> a, a, a conference call with a client this morning, said. Man, I, I don't know if y'all saw it. Now, I am using Robert's voice here. So, um, <laughs> you know, he said, man, I don't know if y'all saw it, but whoo, Sean is wound up tight today. And you know what? I am. Um, I actually was invited on somebody else's podcast yesterday, and I think it dropped at 11 o'clock today, the episode. Um, but I was asked to come on and give a very candid take on these MAOs. And here's what I'll say. To me, I believe the behavior of the 15 MAOs that were singled out 
by the Office of Inspector General, their behavior potentially rises to the level of negligence. Some, not I, well, maybe I, some would say possibly criminal behavior. But you've got to read this document yourself. I don't want to bias anybody. I don't want to put thoughts into your head. Read this thing. But one of the things that I would encourage people to read is Appendix B, which is the breakdown of every single one of these cases for which the independent physician panel that was put together by the Office of Inspector General, and it was specifically the Office of Evaluations and Investigations, came out and absolutely put a lashing to these MAOs. And just got to read it yourself. It's, it's, yeah, it's a 66-page report, but I will tell you it reads very quickly. Um, and, you know, one of my goals, I'm hoping, I, I've drafted a letter to the 15 CEOs of the MAOs that were singled out, and I have invited them to come onto my podcast to not defend themselves, but to give their perspective. But I'll tell you who I also want on the program is Becerra. I want Becerra to come on this program, and I want him to explain why, after CMS, and even though this is under prior administrations, why CMS to date has not implemented the changes that were recommended by the Office of Inspector General dating back, I think, to 2018 or 19, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, huge problems. Um, Let's talk about some of the things that you're dealing with on um, consulting engagements. What seem to be the biggest areas of concern, both from your client's perspective and from your perspective as a healthcare uh, consultant, healthcare professional. So I will kind of piggyback on um, this report that you're talking about, um, the prior authorizations, correct? So we have a few uh, specialists that we work with and one specialist has to have a uh, employee and a half to just do that, you know, to just get prior authorizations for procedures. And it's frustrating, it's expensive, and it's not just, uh, you know, logging onto a portal and, and, and getting that prior authorization for that procedure. It's submitting clinicals. It is doing peer-to-peer. It's, it's, it's a whole, like, dance that, you know, th- these uh, provider offices have to do to get one procedure approved um, and establishing medical necessity. That's frustrating the providers. Um, yesterday, the cardi- one of the cardiologists was like, he has to do a peer-to-peer for a nuclear stress test. You know, a patient with a uh, history of coronary artery disease in their family, diabetes, you know, abnormal EKG, chest pain. I mean, what else do you need, right? I mean, it's that's what's frustrating the doctors that they have to jump through hoops for to get those prior authorizations. So that's a big pain point right now with, you know, getting those prior authorizations. I don't deal with the medication side because I don't deal with the clinical side of it, but I know that they go through a lot of hassle to get medication approved as well. Are you familiar with the gold card in the state of Texas 
for prior authorizations? If not, there's a program that's been created in the state of Texas. And, and again, I give the state a lot of credit for really thinking outside the box. What they have put in place with the commercial payers is something called a gold card. And if a provider achieves 95% as a rating on their prior authorizations, they are issued a gold card, whether it's a real, you know, or theoretical or whatever it is, maybe something in the system. But basically what happens is within the commercial payer systems for whom are participating in this program, for those procedures that they've achieved a 95% approval rate, they once they are issued that gold card, they no longer have to go through that prior authorization process. That is pretty incredible. Tennessee is now in the process of following behind what the state of Texas has done. I wasn't sure if you were aware of that, and if not, I'd be happy to try to share some of that information with you after the program. Sure, I'd love to know more. I, I'm sure that's going to help out our providers a hundred times. You know. Yeah. So. What about what what about the transition from the evaluation and management services in the office setting, right? 95, 97 guidelines to the 2021 EM documentation guidelines. Have you found the providers are more in compliance or are you finding higher levels of service being billed where the medical necessity, the medical decision-making, or the time is not properly documented or it's not being substantiated. What are you seeing with the transition now almost a full year and a half into that change in the office setting? Physicians are still wrapping their head around it. I will tell you that. Um, I've had a really long conversation with uh, with the doctor last week, and we were just arguing about the time. And uh, we were arguing about, he's like, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm like, well, you need to document that. And then there's another thing about, oh, you don't have to, you don't have to document the exam and you don't have to document all the, you know, his social history and all of that. I'm like, yes and no. <laughs> It's it's not that like you don't have to document things. You still have to examine the patient. You I mean, if you're going to examine the patient, you're going to have to put that in the documentation. Yeah, you you don't have to count that towards your medical decision making. But it's 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 just like all that. I think the doctor's frustration is that they're getting they're being promised things that patients over paperwork, right? That's what we hear. But then that's right. that's, that's not what's being implemented. Still, they're being told what to do and they're being told what not to do and those are some of the things that i struggle with a lot of times and then the classic line that i hear from doctors is that well my friend's doing it and <laughs> he's getting paid you know the this doctor group right here has been doing it for so that that's like the classic line that i hear and I, i'm just like you're the doctor i can't tell you how to practice medicine you know you you went to school for that you had years of training doing that i cannot tell you how to treat your patient i know my job and i'm giving you evidence i'm giving you all these you know things that ama put out or cms has put out i'm giving you the documentation these are these are written rules right here and these are the rules that doctors must follow 
and it's it's a real it's it's a struggle because you want to come across as an expert sometimes and i i don't want to i don't want to say this but i will say this that sometimes as a as a woman <laughs> it, it it backfires on me sometimes talking to some male doctors um and like you said earlier that i i look young which that i'm not but which i'm not but kind of taken that for granted as well that oh she, what does she know she doesn't have that much experience so i i struggle with that but there, that's what i'm uh, dealing with with the evaluation and management another thing that we are dealing with also is incident two I know, oh, when, I know when you uh, emailed me about this podcast, you did say that you wanted to kind of uh, talk about that as well. So that's yeah. another thing that we're dealing with right now where it's a big issue, you know, with doctors hiring nurse practitioners and uh, and just thinking that, you know, everything, just, just because they're in the office, everything is incident too, which is like, no, that's not what it means. But my friend is doing it. Well, your friend is not doing it right. They're not my clients. I don't really care if they're doing it or not. You know, CMS will come get them whenever they do. But I have to make sure that you're in compliance because by extension, we're the business associate. We're building for these services. And I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want my company to get in trouble for this either. Yeah. You know, for as much as I despise, <clears throat> incident to services, I have to say I love them because it, it keeps me very busy between these federal civil cases, these administrative law judge hearings, these self-disclosure protocols. Incident two is probably the number one area that providers make a mistake in. <clears throat> because again, the term incident two basically is simply put we have non-physician practitioners or ancillary slash auxiliary staff performing services under the direct supervision of a physician as if he or she were performing the services themselves basically a physician establishes the plan of care and then a non-physician practitioner carries it out if there's a change in the status of the patient's condition if they present with a new problem, it is no longer an incident to service. And I tell people, stop billing them. The risk reward just is not there. And the other big mistake that I see are providers billing incident two for their non-physician practitioners simply because they don't want to go through the credentialing process. What a huge no-no. Um, but yeah, you know, incident two, but I want to go back to something that you brought. Because I, I, I hear this from time to time from a, a, a lot of the females, uh, the female professionals, the ladies that I get to engage with on a day in and day out basis. Um, you know, I have I've raised two daughters. One's 31. The other one's 26. I've got three granddaughters now. Ten, seven and five. Or turning five. Um, it is always disappointing when I hear a lady say to me, you know, when I deal with these male physicians, you know, it's always like I have to prove myself. You know, it's it is a problem. I get very bent out of shape because I have a lot of women, and I always say this, even though I'm a partner in the firm. Nobody works for me. We collaborate. We work together. Now, 
if you're a bad actor in the organization, yeah, I'm going to let you know very quickly you work for me and you work for my partners. Um, but I will tell you, as a male, I also get a lot of pushback from physicians that look at me, both men and women, who look at me and they're like, you're just a coder. What do you know? And, you know, I, I, I have to kind of explain to them, I'm here because you asked me to be here. I'm not, be, I'm not here because I wanted to. And guess what? I'm here because you needed me to be here because you screwed something up so royally that you got a civil investigative demand from the Department of Justice that was served by the OIG. Or you got audited under the TPE program and now you're moving to phase two or you've gone from phase two to phase three or now phase three and this is your last chance not to be escalated back to the MAC or remanded back to the MAC or escalated to OIG. So why don't you put your narcissistic, nasty behavior aside and let's talk about what you as a responsible business person, as a responsible clinician should be doing in order to ensure compliance with the regulations. And I always love, I'm sure you've heard this as well. Um, you know, this is ridiculous. This is nonsense. Why do I have to do this? And I always tell them, listen, you don't have to do it. You don't have to comply with anything that an insurance carrier tells you, but you should probably opt out. And if you don't want to do things based on generally accepted standards of medical practice, then you should probably go and find another profession to work in because healthcare is the most regulated industry of all industries out there. We have the highest level of complex statutes, acts, laws, regulations that you'll find anywhere. So, you know, the advice that I give to a lot of the women professionals that I get to engage with on a day in, day out basis is very simple. You ready? Don't take anybody's crap. I don't know how simply, how much more simply I can put it. Look, there's a, a time and a place to respond, and, and there's a way to respond in a professional, diplomatic, appropriate way. Um, and I always try to take the high ground, right? But at the same time, I'm not going to allow somebody to demean me. I'm not going to allow somebody to devalue the education that I've acquired over 28 years. And that's what I try to explain to all the CPCAs that reach out, you know, and they're like, you know, I, I have to do my apprenticeship, you know, and, you know, we, we let them go in and have a conversation with the doctor and the doctor basically eviscerates them. And, you know, they're, they're just in tears and it's like, no, 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 no. There's no crying in business. <laughs> Get it together. Go back in there and sit down and command the room. If you know what you're talking about, command the room. But the other thing that I tell people all the time there's no shame in saying, it's a great question, doc. I don't have the answer to that off the top of my head. And I don't want to make something up and give you the wrong answer. Give me a little bit of time. Let me go do some research. I'll figure it out. I'll collaborate with some of my colleagues who maybe have expertise in this area. And I will get you the right answer. That goes so far. Um, you know, and if that doesn't work, the other thing you could do, just kick them in the kneecap. I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. Anyways.
So um, I will tell you this, that yeah. it has taken a number of years for me to get that to that point where I don't take anybody's crap. And so for, for, for me to be able to be confident in my knowledge, I have to educate myself. And that's what I've worked on in all these years where I've been um, I've, I've gotten trained and I've gotten certified. I've, I've read up on things where it makes me an authority on that subject. And that's where I've gotten that respect. And uh, interestingly, because it's actually weeded out those people who just don't don't want to comply or don't want to be in, in that, you know, don't want to be told anything. Right. They have been weeded out. We have let clients go in the past couple of years. Who have not you know complied or who have not listened to our advice we have at the beginning when i was trying to build my business i was taking a lot of crap from people because i was like i need the sure. business you know I, I have to kind of take it and everything i've let those positions kind of wait away and let them go and now the the, the physicians that we have and um i'll tell you majority of them are very good and they're listening and a lot of them are have broken off from hospitals or big groups and they're establishing their own practice so they're very uh they're listening you know they're listening to the advice because they they don't want to fail and they want to make sure that they uh they do this right you know from the ground up so i so it takes two or two of those things right a physician who is willing to learn and willing to comply and do the right thing the first time it also takes the the compliance expert the consultant to be very so knowledgeable that they earned that respect and i feel like i've earned that now in in the last couple of years but in in the beginning when i was first starting yeah i was intimidated by these doctors and i was uh, i was getting pushed around which i i don't take anybody's crap anymore so uh, i i've come and, a long way i feel and that's awesome i love hearing that and what i love hearing even more are these smaller you know uh, uh, consultancies, building their base and building their brand and earning that subject matter expert stamp of approval from their clients, from their peers. And, you know, um, I, I always have a lot of folks that say to me, you know, it's interesting, you know, doctor's management, you know, you guys, you know, you guys do coding and documentation reviews and compliance and all this stuff. You know, why, why, you know, why would you on your podcast have folks from competitors on? And, you know, to me, my answer is very simple. You're not my competitor. You're my colleague. You're my collaborator. I want to see, listen, there's enough business out there for all of us to be successful, right? But I want to build my network of subject matter experts. I want to build my personal, you know, my professional relationships to be long-term sustainable relationships. I want people, you know, like yourself who get a client that you get asked or pushed, pushed into this highly complex, highly volatile situation where you're trying to figure out how best to mitigate not only their risk, but your risk. And you're going to think to yourself, you know what? I should probably give Sean a call just to bounce it off of him. Have this conversation. You know, we're peers, we're colleagues, we're friends. That's why I invite folks from different consultancies on. The Christine Halls of the world, the Rosmin Vapak uh, of the world, the um, 
Jennifer McNamara's, the Sanal Patel's, the Tony Elholm's. You know, you professional women are what will continue to drive this industry forward. And it is you all that the providers, whether they like it or not, have to depend on to be able to stay out of bad situations. So for me, I love having folks like yourself on. I love getting to know who you are, learning more about your business, your culture within your organization, what you're focusing on, you know, the experiences that you've had so that when I come across a situation and I say, you know what? I'm not really sure. I don't do billing. Let me reach out to one of my colleagues who does. Now I have somebody in my Rolodex that I can look to and say, this is a subject matter expert in billing. That's why we do it this way. And I encourage all of you listening to this podcast to have that open mind, to not use those blinders to say, well, that's a competitor. That's a foolish way to look at things, in my humble opinion. But I want to give you the last word, Rasmin. You know, what what does what does the rest of 2022 look like for you and for, you know, CodeWrite and the employees of your organization? And what are you looking to for, let's say, the next five years? So before I answer that, I also want to say that uh, I have been so fortunate to connect with people like you and Sonal and Tony and Christine, and I really feed off of their energy and their knowledge. And um, LinkedIn is a great place. You know, we all got connected with each other on LinkedIn and I really love that. And that, and like you said, don't see each other as competitors. I called Sonal um, on, last week for something that a doctor was asking and I wasn't sure. And I was like, hey, let me see if Sonal's available to answer my call. I, I think I reached out to you as well before we even connected. And I was like, can you answer this yeah. incident two question? And we actually took that back. I, I took everything you said. We actually took that back. And so the, the doctor had hired another consultant. So we were doing their billing. So he wasn't taking me seriously as a consultant. So he hired another consulting company that was actually helping them with growth and all that. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But they were actually poking their nose into the billing stuff. And they were telling him, you can in, do incident two for everything. So I uh, I sent that email to them and and I I put all these things you know on on there that you know my colleague who is you know who's a healthcare consultant who deals with you know all these Medicare things and I I really like you know built you up not that I mean you already have those credentials but I that made myself look good because you know I was like I I know a guy <laughs> like Sean so I and, know a guy <laughs> yeah so I, I shut him up you know and I, that was That's really awesome. good the doctor had no recourse they had no recourse so. That was excellent. So yes, I totally agree with you that you know the networking, the the network that we have built of professionals is, is excellent and so much uh, knowledge and so many years of experience that's behind it. It's it's invaluable. It's priceless. Um, and one thing I'll say, there's one person who I I want to bring up. If you're a young lady, um, or even if you're um, you know an experienced. Uh, individual an experienced woman in this industry one of the people if you want if you want to really emulate somebody look at terry fletcher terry has become one of my one of my great friends 
over the last year. I mean, she and I have known each other for 20 plus years, decades. We've known each other. Um, and really over the last year, she has just become such a great friend. But what I love about Terry is that she doesn't take anybody's crap, man. She doesn't care if you're a doctor. She doesn't care if you're a lawyer. If she knows the answer and she has the authoritative information to back it up, she's in your face and she's not, you know, and she'll never allow somebody to talk down to her. She wants to have a conversation. And that's, that's one of the things I love about, you know, her. And I've shown my daughters several times, listen to when Terry and I talk, she doesn't take any of my crap either. Terry throws it right back at me. So, um, you know, to that point, you know, if Terry's not in your circle of trusted resources, get to know her. She's outstanding. She but Rosmine, I want to, I, I want to go back to that question that I asked you. What's, what's in the future for the rest of 2022 for Code Right and for your organization? And really, what are you planning on for the next five years? So we're getting a lot of inquiries from doctors about their billing. Like I said, a lot of doctors are breaking off from big groups and uh, they're starting their own practices. So uh, billing is one thing that we we offer. So now I'm more confident in in bundling some of the things that we do with, you know, setting up their policies and procedures and making sure that, you know, you know, they're adhering to it and their staff is adhering to it, training their staff, documentation review. So I'm, I'm really putting all of that out there. So, of course, growing the company more this year and, and also going into more of a consulting kind of a role for myself. Um, I, I do feel, find myself being uh, doing the day-to-day stuff and getting, you know, in the business. I want to kind of take myself out of that and be work on the business where I am collaborating. I have not been able to go to conferences, you know, because I'm so busy doing the day-to-day stuff. So I want to go to conferences. I want to learn from uh, from experts like, like yourself. And Terry, I'm a big fan of Terry Fletcher. I know Terry Fletcher. I've, I've learned from Terry Fletcher. And I was listening to your last, last podcast and you called her Yoda. And I completely agree. She is Yoda, uh, for sure. So, <laughs> yes, uh, she is. It's what I want to do. I want to kind of take myself out of just being like a biller and I'm, I don't want to say it in a demeaning way of course that you know pays our bills but uh, be the be that authority that physicians who are in private practice who are uh, you know very nervous about starting their own practice or don't know uh, how to navigate this um, this the scene I want to be there as a trusted resource for them and the company's there, the company's growing. I have complete faith in it that it's gonna continue to grow and uh, and, and we're gonna be there, you know, 10 years down the road. Um, Sean, you'll know that Code Rights still exists and I'm hoping for that. <laughs> so we're still there. <laughs> Absolutely, it sounds like a great strategy for moving forward. I think you should kind of give yourself a little pat on the back because you've done a great job of, you know, coming up through the ranks within the healthcare industry, putting in the time, putting in the hard work that it takes to be able to open up a business, but not only open up your own business, but to grow it in the way that you have. And I, I commend you on such a great job. And I look forward to collaborating with you, but more importantly, watching your organization and you achieve those personal and professional goals that you've set for yourself and for your organization over the next year and over the next five years. So wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. This has been such an honor. 
I've been a fan of yours. I, I listened to your podcast and I've been following you. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete honor to be here and talking to you. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. And I've been a fan of yours as well. I follow your blogs and your posts on LinkedIn. Um, keep up the great work, Rasmin Bapet. And I look forward to hopefully being able to welcome you back onto the podcast again down the road. Uh, and we'll further this conversation next, next time. Maybe we'll just go ahead and pick one big major topic that y'all are dealing with and we'll attack it and see if we can't build a roadmap to success together for all of our clients. All right. So that concludes this episode of the Compliance Guy. Once again, I want to thank each and every single one of you for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me each week. Along with my special guest this week was Rasmin Bapit from CodeWrite in the Allen, Texas area, just outside of the Dallas Metroplex. Again, to each and one of you, each and every single one of you who logs on, tunes in, and hangs out every single week, it's because of you that you put us in the number seven spot of the top 25 regulatory compliance podcast in the United States. Uh, I learned from the independent organization just two days ago that created this um, uh, top 25 list uh, that there are more than 2,000 regulatory compliance and health law related podcasts. So for us to be ranked number seven on that list, it is truly a humbling experience. And it's all due to those of you that hang out with us each and every single week and to my incredible guests. So with that said, until next time, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. Take care.